Well, hey, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, welcome to the teaching portion of our service. We're continuing our series Against All Odds, looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And today we're talking about really how to find your place in the church. So when I was 23, I worked at a warehouse. Uh, it was a warehouse uh, of a nonprofit, a big nonprofit in the Twin Cities. And every year, uh, the founders of our nonprofit would have this giant gala. They would rent out a huge like uh, convention hall, and they would invite all of their high roller friends. And so we would have like local celebrities and athletes, and uh, you walk in, and, and there's like lasers, and there's a band, and it's just big. Everyone's dressed to the nines. And I remember the first time that I went, uh, I was wearing like my probably like $70 uh, men's warehouse clearance suit that I'm pretty sure my mom got for me from my high school prom. And I had like a, a tie that I'd gotten off the clearance rack at Target. And I was just like, whoa, out of my element. And when I found my place, I sat down at the table and realized that the person sitting directly across from me on the table was Dennis Doyle. So Dennis Doyle is A, the founder of the nonprofit that I worked for, and B, the CEO of Welsh Companies, which is this massive real estate company. They do commercial real estate in the Twin Cities, and they do about a quarter of a billion dollars a year in business. And I remember I sat down, and he looked right at me, and he was like, you look sharp, man. <laughs> it's like, I felt so small. And so for the rest of the night, I was trying to figure out which fork to use. And he is like talking to all these high rollers around the table. And I know he was speaking English, but I have no idea what he was talking about. Have you ever walked into a place and instantly you feel like, man, this is a club and I am not a member. <laughs> I don't belong here. This, this is what happens anytime we bring together different types of people, people with different social, political, uh, economic backgrounds, and we bring them together. And this is exactly what happens in church, except that on top of all of the social differences, the political, the ethic, uh, ethnic differences, that there are also spiritual differences when we come together. And so, you know, maybe you've experienced this. You come into a church and it seems like everyone's talking the same way. Everyone's dressed the same way. Everyone knows how to, like, when to stand, when to sit, when to clap, what jokes to laugh at. Uh, everyone seems to know what's going on. Everyone, you know, like the sermon's happening and everyone's like nodding and taking notes. And you're like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. And everyone just seems to be at home and you're going, I'm not sure I belong here. You ever experienced that? Coming to church and maybe feeling a little spiritually homeless? And this is part of the reason that Paul was writing this letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians to the, the church, which is in a city of Corinth. That's where it gets its name, Corinthians. And within the small, fledgling church, so this is the very early days of the church, there was inside this church a, a class of like hyper-spiritual and also kind of socially elite people who were using what we call their spiritual gifts to make sure that everyone knew who was in and who was out. They wanted to make sure everyone knew who were the haves and who were the have-nots. And if you went to this church in Corinth, if you had money and you had like the right kind of spiritual gifts, 
You were in, you were good, but if you didn't, then you were probably questioning whether you should be there. So how do you find like, your place in the church? How do I find my place in the church? That's a huge question. And part of the answer, Paul says, is discovering your spiritual gifts. Well, what are those? Well, we talked about this last week and would invite you to catch up to uh, any messages you've missed. You can do that online. But Mark Myfair gave us this really good definition of a spiritual gift. He says, spiritual gifts are spiritual abilities given by God to every believer for the edification of the church, which is to say the nourishing or the building up of the church to the glory of God until he comes. And every church uh, has this. Every believer has a spiritual gift and, and every church has, um, has kind of its own unique mix of gifts. So no matter where you are in the world, if you walk into a church, you pretty much quickly realize that there are maybe one or two of the spiritual gifts that will, in that church context will give you kind of extra street cred. In ancient Corinth, the gift is, was the gift of tongues. So tongues is the spirit-given ability to worship God in a language that the speaker never learned, right? So it's a pretty, pretty impressive gift. That's not so much the primary gift here at Door Creek, although it's a very valuable gift, and, and we can, uh, we'll have time to talk about that later. But uh, here, it's probably more like one of the teaching gifts, is, or kind of one of the primary ones. Like our teaching team, uh, our pastors who speak, uh, we, we prep for these messages about 15 to 20 hours every single week. Uh, we study, we read, we nerd out on stuff. Uh, and then we come here and we open up our Bibles and we teach. And it's kind of like the main event at our church. And then, you know, we send you home and we ask you to be in a life group. And uh, we'll give you message homework to dive into and even further discuss it. But does that mean that everyone at Door Creek Church has to be a Bible nerd? Because what if you're not? And does it mean that if you're different, that that's bad. What if your difference is actually a good thing? What if that's on purpose? And a wise question would be, how do I find my place in the body of Christ, in the church? And so Paul wrote what we're about to read uh, so that Christians would recognize what the Holy Spirit's doing to help everybody find their place in the church. So we're gonna ask two questions today. The first question is, what is the Spirit doing? The second question is, how do we know it's working? What's the Spirit doing? How do we know it's working? So first, what's the Spirit doing? Uh, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, uh, verses 12 and 13. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greek, uh, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So look again uh, at verse 12. I'm going to have it up here. Just as a body, though one is many parts, but all its many parts form one body, he says, so it is with Christ. If you're paying attention, you might think, well, wait a second. Why doesn't he say the church? 
Why doesn't he draw this analogy between the body and the church? Why does he say with Christ? And this is a really surprising and really important point. Because we expect him to say the church, but, but this helps us understand what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is not trying to create a religious institution. That's not what the church is supposed to be. Just another religious institution. What the Holy Spirit is doing is he's creating a movement that embodies Jesus. Embodies Jesus. So what that means is these Corinthians, 2,000 years ago, uh, you know, passing their faith down all the way to us in the present day, that we are all part of a continual movement that is not just trying to learn who Jesus is. We're not just trying to do what Jesus does. We are learning to be who Jesus is. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Not in a literal way, of course, but in a very powerful, tangible, and mysterious way. The Holy Spirit is causing people in the church to grow into a unity with Jesus. So much so that even though Jesus has ascended and gone to be with the Father, that we are still having the same effect as Jesus would have in a broken world that desperately needs Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That, that we're being baptized. And baptism is, um, is an outward sign, an outward symbol of an inward reality. It's when we lower people, maybe you've seen this, we lower people under the water as a symbol of um, uh, how their old identity, the identity that's dead to God, the identity that is cut off from God is being washed away and we bring them back up as a sign of the new life that we are awakened to because of a new vital connection with our creator. And, and what Paul is saying is that God is like the life source and the spirit is like the, co the connective conduit. And we are like the organs and the limbs and the appendages, all interconnected, all interdependent and sustained by the life and the power that comes from the center of all reality, which is God, who in himself is a Trinitarian community surging with love and with life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is creating, uh, like turning us into the embodiment of Jesus on earth. And so when that happens, when we get connected to the body of Christ, as we get transplanted, like dead, dead weight limbs, dead on the ground, as we get transplanted, connected to the body, as we experience new life, that we are now no longer primarily to identify by our individuality, but we are now primarily to identify by the body of Christ itself. And so what that means is that our whiteness, our blackness, our conservatism, our progressivism, our eth ethnicities, our backgrounds, our gender, all of that stuff doesn't go away, but it comes into, it comes under our, our new identity as a spirit powered, uh, sorry, as a, as a community powered by the spirit of God. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. So you might think, well, that's all well and good. Okay, got it. But that doesn't help me as I look around and try to figure out if I really belong in the church. And so Paul unpacks this word picture, this body analogy, and tells us exactly how we can know if it's working. 
So how do we know if this is working? He tells us exactly what to expect. Uh, he says, first, you're going to notice that you're different and dependent. You're different and dependent. So uh, you can see what I mean in verse 14. Paul says, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, he gives us really hilarious, almost like an SNL skit, uh, you know, uh, that we can look at. Hilarious example. He says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? You get what he's saying, right? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So you're different by design. I think that's what Paul is saying. You're different by design. So picture this. Just picture like a giant foot. A giant foot walking around, you know, human-sized foot. And foot is just feeling really down today. So foot goes to his, um, his therapist, Dr. Head. Okay? So there's foot. He's laying down on, you know, the, the bed or whatever. And Dr. Head says, so foot, what brings you in to see me today? And foot says, well, every day I wake up and I stretch my short, stubby toes and the first thing I see way up there is hand. Hand. Hand with his five beautiful long fingers. Every one of his fingers has two knuckles. Two. And, you know, I just feel like I don't belong to the body. Because, you know, when I look at my short stubby toes, I wonder. I wonder if I really belong. I mean, everybody loves hand. Everybody gives hand high fives. Nobody wants to high five a foot. As Dr. Head says, so foot, are you wanting to leave the body? And foot's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And then the doctor, Dr. Head might say, well, you know, the body wouldn't be the same without you, right? Like maybe your strong stubby toes are exactly what the body needs to move from place to place without falling over. And the foot's like, oh. I never thought of that. Thanks, that really helps. And then Foot walks out, and he walks out of the waiting room, and there's Ear sitting on the chair reading a magazine. So what's, what's Foot doing? Foot is projecting. And basically, projecting is when you assume that others should be like you, and you should be like others. It's when you walk into a place thinking you're going to meet someone just like you, but instead feeling like everyone around you has what you don't have. It's when you think, man, everybody here is social, but I'm shy. Everyone here is white, but I'm black. Everyone here is old, but I'm young. Everybody here is married, but I'm single. Everybody here has kids, and I don't. Everyone here seems to be on the same page with all these big questions like, does God exist, and how did the world come into being and all of these things. And I'm just not so sure I'm on the same page with everybody. Everybody here seems to be really into this Bible teaching stuff. And I'm just like not connecting. And what Paul is saying here is stop projecting. 
Don't, don't project. He's saying the only thing that everybody in the church has in common is that the spirit of God is flowing through you. And that is enough. That's enough. And you'll know when the Holy Spirit is bringing true unity to the church, not when everyone starts to think the same and look the same and act the same, but when you realize that you're different and that's good. That's by design. You're different by design. Look in verse uh, 18. Paul wrote, but in fact, God has placed the parts. So he's active in this. He's placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God made you different by design. He's placed you where you are by design. It wasn't an accident. And you know the Spirit is doing what he does when you see the things that make you uniquely who you are as essential to the body. When you start to see that what makes you different is what makes you essential, that the body wouldn't be the same without you. And guys, there's so much freedom in that. It's so fun to discover that. There's so much freedom to be exactly who God made you to be. And there's so much freedom in not trying to be someone that you're not. So you'll notice that you're different. That's part of how we know the Holy Spirit is working. You'll also notice that you're dependent on the rest of the body. You're different, but you're also dependent. Look in verse 20 with me. It's, uh, Paul writes, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So what this means, you guys, is we're dependent by design. We're dependent on each other by design. And dependence is, is not a, a great word in our culture, in our context, because we're a very individualistic culture. We're really like, we are a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't ask for help. Be self-sufficient. Be a man. Buck up. Don't cry. And all of that. And so in our culture, if you're dependent, you might feel like you're subordinate somehow or that you're needy, or you're helpless somehow. And so our natural tendency is to refrain from our God-given independence. But what we see in Scripture is that we've been invited into the body of Christ, which becomes an interdependent ecosystem of mutual love and support. And it's good to be dependent. Like, there should be no Bear Grylls Christians. You know Bear Grylls, like man versus wild? Just me and Jesus in the woods, that's all I need. There, there should be no, none of that. No Bear grills, Christians. It means that as we follow Jesus, that we should also discover how we're interconnected and interdependent on one another. Like, you're going to realize that there are parts of the body of Christ that you never even knew existed, and you're going to have such gratitude for them. So I remember the day I discovered I had kidneys. So obviously, I've always known I had kidneys from the time I learned what kidneys are. But the day I discovered how awesome they are and how important they are and how much they hurt when they go wrong. So I was trying to fast, which is when you abstain from food for a while in order to focus on your relationship with God. And I I thought I had a good plan in place. So the plan was 
for a couple days, I was going to stop eating meat and dairy and stop drinking coffee and all those things that I just really enjoy and just eat vegetables. And then to kind of prep myself and prep my body for another couple days where I was just going to drink water. And the goal was, this is going to be great. I'm going to connect with God. I'm going to put all this other stuff, all these comforts and things away. And, and by the end of the vegetable time, um, I, I was like gorging. I was doing it wrong. I was gorging on beans because when you are used to eating meat, uh, beans are just kind of like the most filling vegetable that you can find. And so I was just eating a ton of beans um, and I was not drinking nearly enough water. And then my kidneys, it just felt like they exploded inside of me. And I thought I was dying. And so my wife brought me to the emergency room and I found out I had kidney stones. Uh, and it really hurt. And uh, the moral of the story is do your homework before you fast. But more importantly, for my whole, like, like my whole life up until my middle 20s, I just had no idea how important my kidneys are. And I learned to love my kidneys. And the same thing happens in the body of Christ. The same thing happens as we learn to just uh, recognize that there are people who have spent their entire lives serving, protecting, you know, using their gifts in the body that you and I will never see because it was hidden and it was secret. It was far away. And, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, you kind of like go, well, what part of the body am I? And this isn't like a, a thing you have to do, but for me, if I had to like pick a part of the body that kind of matched my gifts or, or whatever, I think I'd probably be a mouth. I'd probably be just a great big talking mouth, right? Everybody knows when mouth is in the room. If there's a silent moment, mouth just fills that silent moment because mouths can't take silent moments. And for, for me, it's not just here when I'm at church. It's, it's, I'm a mouth everywhere I go, at home, at the dinner table, in Zoom meetings, like if there's a quiet moment, I'm going to fill it up with stuff. Maybe you're a mouth. Maybe you're married to a mouth. You know, you love to steer the conversation. You love describing ideas and expressing what's burning inside of you. And mouths are great. I love mouths. But mouths can also become attention hogs because lots of people that come to a church, they go, wow, that mouth is great. And they start to think, that the whole church is basically just a big mouth. And they don't realize that there are so many other parts of the body who are all doing what they're called to do, which is what enables the mouth to be what the mouth is and do what the mouth does. Like, where would a mouth be without the neck? You're watching this video right now, and you have no idea that there is a brilliant person, Isaiah, right behind the camera uh, filming this. And I, I couldn't be a mouth without him. Maybe, maybe Isaiah, maybe you're the neck. I don't know. What do you think? He's nodding. I think he's, he would be a great neck. Mouths, mouths need lungs. Mouths need um, like skulls. We, like without a skull, a mouth is just a floppy mess. And it's not just mouths. Like they're every part of the body. Every person who is gifted needs to discover that just how dependent they are on all the other parts. And there's such a feeling of gratitude that grows in you when you discover that. It's a beautiful thing. And in Corinth, in the church there, um, the, the primo gift was the gift of speaking in tongues. And uh, 
What, what those people needed to understand is that they needed all the other gifts to be reflected and represented in order to make the body do what the body is supposed to do. So maybe your mouth, maybe your brain, maybe your hands, and maybe you need to just wake up to your need for the kidneys and the spleens and the feet and the eyebrows all around you. So how do we know that the Holy Spirit's helping us find our place in the body? Well, he's waking us up to how different we are, but how dependent we are at the same time. But you're also going to notice what is making you come alive. Because when we discover our place, when we find our place in the body, it really makes us come alive. So I'm going to read verse 22 all the way through the end of the chapter, and then we'll talk about three things that I think are going to be really practical and really helpful um, as we try to discover our place. So in verse 22, Paul writes, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's what we were just talking about. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with a special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable, I'm sorry, unpresentable, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts, like the mouths, they need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. It's beautiful. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are uh, the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed um, in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. By the way, you can find out about all this stuff uh, at a resource that I'm going to point out later. We could spend a long time just unpacking what each of those things are, but we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to let you figure that out uh, on the website. Uh, but Paul goes on in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, and the applied answer is no. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. By the way, that's a teaser for next week, the more excellent way of love. So come back next time. So as we so all this, all this is saying, as we find our place in the body, discovering our gifts, it feels like we're coming alive. And so we just went through this kind of long section. This, uh, it included this list of gifts. Uh, and there are like four gift lists in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians has two. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has two of these lists. We just read one of them. Ephesians chapter four has a list. And these are not like physician's desk references, right? These are not like clinical indexes or, or an encyclopedia listing of, of all of the gifts that there is. What this is, is just kind of a, a representation of the great variety of the ways the spirit of God gives gifts to uh, the people in the body of Christ. So as we study the spiritual gifts, as we do good self-reflection, as we uh, bring people around us to ask us to help us discover our place 
in the body, we're going to discover three things, and we're just going to go through these pretty quickly, and I think they're going to be just really practical and helpful. So the first thing is that your gifts come in clusters. Your gifts come in clusters. Here's what I mean. So a gift is something that you're good at. It's something the Holy Spirit has given you that you're just kind of naturally good at because you're connected to the Spirit of God. And when you're good at something and you're doing it, other people may look at you and go, man, you're working a lot. You're, you're putting that gift to work and you're going, man, it doesn't feel like work. I kind of like it. I, I kind of feel good when I do it. I kind of come alive and, and people keep asking you to do it. And you're like, all right, I love doing this because this is my gift. And, you know, people will start to give you good feedback, you know, on whether, whether that gift is, is really good or not. Ephesians uh, 4.11 talks about um, how there are some people who have the gift of uh, gifts of pastors and teachers, pastor-teacher gifts, where the two different kinds of gifts are like together and combined. But here in verse 28, what we just read, it only lists the teaching gift. And I think what this is telling us is probably gifts come to us in clusters, in clusters. They, they come to us in pairings and, and they interact with each other in really unique ways for us as individuals. So an example would be, maybe you have a teaching gift and you also have a, a gift of healing. Now, putting those two things together, teaching and healing, that's going to look really different than someone who has the gift of teaching and maybe leadership. You see what I'm saying? So one thing you want to do is, uh, as you find your place in the body, is think about your gifts in, in clusters and how they interact with each other. That's number one. Number two is your gifts work in spheres. Your gifts work in spheres. So, uh, the, the clusters, your gifts, are all about what you're good at. Um, this, like the spheres, are all about what you're interested in. Just like what you're naturally drawn toward and, and interested in. So verse 28, we read about the gift of helping. Which, by the way, just pause and, and consider the fact that the gift of helping, which may seem normal and mundane, is right next to the gift of working miracles. So, the Spirit really does give a great variety of gifts and abilities. Don't feel bad if yours isn't so spiritual and shiny as maybe someone else's. So anyway, think about the gift of helping. It's going to look really different depending on where you're helping, what, what kind of area you're, you're drawn to and interested in. So helping like in a grief ministry. So we have a grief share ministry, which is this amazing community of people who come together to support one another when they're going through difficult, painful seasons of their life for all sorts of reasons. Having a helping gift in a grief share kind of ministry is going to be all about maintaining confidentiality, right? And sensitivity, asking good questions and being gentle and knowing where the tissue boxes are. And the gift of helping in that sphere is going to look way different than the gift of helping like in an eighth grade girls small group, right? Where there's going to be uh, just a lot of sarcastic zingers thrown around and a lot of TikTok videos and maybe a little bit of drama. So when looking to find your place, it's just wise to consider not just how your gifts are clustered, but what spheres you are, are interested in. 
But we can't stop there. Because if we're thinking just about what I'm good at and what I'm interested in, then what we're really doing is just kind of looking inward. But we can't put our gifts to work until we look outward. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He, he helps us come alive by looking outward and discovering the needs because your gifts are, uh, are given to you to meet specific needs. Your gifts meet specific needs. So this is about just thinking about what hurts you? What pricks you? What, what injustices bother you so much that you just can't unsee them? What keeps you up at night? Who, who in your community, have, have you heard, like you've heard their story, and now you just can't stop thinking about, man, someone needs to do something. Because your gifts are meant to meet specific needs. And like things that make you sad, things that might make you angry, not in a bitter or toxic way, but in a productive and a healthy way. And, or maybe you've had a life experience that the Holy Spirit has brought you through that gives you a special kind of empathy for people who are going through the same thing. So just a quick note on that. Um, if you are someone who's just, you know, you, you are aware of what you're good at by the Spirit, you're aware of what you're interested in, but you're just not in touch with that need. I think a good place to start is just to look around and go, man, who, who is less honored in, in my church? Uh, Paul said in verse 24 that the presentable parts, so think about the, the admirable people up there, maybe the, the upper middle class privileged people, they need no special honor. But in every church, including at our church, there are people who are naturally lacking honor. And what can happen is there's this natural disconnect where there are some people who are just hurting they're suffering injustice. They're struggling. They're weighed down. They have all these extra burdens. And then there are people who are just doing fine and they're just kind of oblivious. And the Holy Spirit wants to break that disconnect. And Paul's saying, if you're doing fine, you need to give your honor away to those who have less of it. And I think the best way to do that is just to go to someone. Like if you're not in touch with the need, just go to someone that you think might be vulnerable pressed down, having a hard time, and just ask them to tell you their story. Ask them. Listen. Ask them what life is like in their shoes. And the Holy Spirit might incite in you a whole new area of need uh, that you're called to. So Paul's been cluing us in on what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's been um, taking these individual body parts and transplanting us into a new embodied uh, representative, like representation of Jesus on earth. And maybe for you, you just haven't said yes to that yet. You know, you haven't uh, been connected to the body of Christ yet. You haven't been immersed and, you know, uh, washed away your old identity. And, and maybe it's time to do that and just say yes to Jesus and follow him and become a part of, of what he's doing in the world. Maybe today you've, you know, you've done that. You, you've been through that and now you're just like, I'm, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to start discovering what makes me come alive, what I'm good at uh, by the Holy Spirit, what, what I'm interested in. And I'm ready to start thinking about the needs that are around me and starting to give some of my honor away to those who naturally have less of it. And so if that's you, 
I want to tell you about just this amazing tool that uh, our team has put together. Uh, it's, it's on our website, doorcreekchurch.org. Just go to the spiritual gifts page. You can take assessments, which will help you just do some really good self-reflection. You can take those results and go to your life group and just like share those and just spend an evening affirming uh, any one another how God has uniquely gifted you. Um, this is an exciting time. I'm so excited for you and I just wanna pray a blessing over you. Uh, as we say goodbye. So Lord, um, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are uh, connecting us to the life that flows from God. Thank you that you, uh, you have made us different and dependent on one another on purpose. And thank you, Lord, that you are inviting us to come alive by discovering our place in the body. I pray a blessing on my friends today and the rest of this week as they take the next step. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.